You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to have you in church this morning and uh, spare a thought for our poor senior pastor who is probably on the Champs-Élysées right now, sipping coffee with his lovely wife and uh, enjoying a uh, well-deserved break. Uh, Graham just works so hard in this place and it's great that he's able to uh, go and enjoy a bit of time over there in Paris, which got me reminiscing because I've been to Paris once before. I was standing outside of uh, Notre Dame, the big cathedral there, waiting in line, you might have been there, wait for ages to get into the place. And this lady comes up to me and she leans in and she says, Parlez-vous anglais? And, and I said, you wouldn't happen to be American, would you? Oh my gosh, you do, and how did you know? <laughs> Big hair, the whole lot, right out, it was awesome. It was fantastic. Uh, look, there's something about encounters with people um, that have the great possibility to reveal something about who they are. For that lady, uh, her struggling attempt at French, which was uh, always well regarded, I thought it was a good effort. Uh, it revealed her nationality to me and there began the conversation. You see, encounters are important things. It's why we begin a new series this week called No Reservations. Uh, what happens when we encounter uh, the unexpected diner in Jesus? We're going to look at three different examples in which uh, Jesus leans into people's lives and begins an encounter with them and, and as the Son of God reveals something at the heart of who God is. This week we're going to look at God's heart for a traitor. Next week, we're going to look at God's heart towards a sinner. The third week, we're going to have a look at God's heart towards a failure. And you see, this week, when we look at Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus, however you might say it, when Jesus encounters a traitor, he was a traitor because tax collectors were despised. Most of us would be familiar with this passage. We knew that tax collectors were hated back in those days. They were despised. You know, there was no e-tax. Someone had to do the job. There was no e-tax. You couldn't submit your tax online. Someone had to co- collect money for the Roman governors. And there was an incentivized type system. Uh, that often the tax collectors would take a cut of what they collected in order to be incentivized to collect more money for the Roman oppressors. And so in that sense, they were collaborators. They were extortionists. And this guy, Zacchaeus, was exactly one of them. Now, here's the interesting thing. It says Jesus in the first verse of chapter 19 was passing through Jericho. He wasn't going for a wander though. He was on a death march. He was walking through like a a, a man left walking on death row down between the cells as he goes through Jericho here because he had 10 days left of his life. 10 days left as he went, walked through, uh, uh, through Jericho on the way to Jerusalem. Ten days and his encounter with this tax collector showed us something. As he looks over this crowd, he points to Zacchaeus in the tree and he says, come down, I want to stay with you. And so what this passage teaches us really is the nature of what we call salvation, what it means to be saved, how you get saved, how God saves. It teaches us about the nature of salvation. How do you get saved by God? The first thing and this is what Zacchaeus did as a man who was saved. The first thing you've got to do is get over yourself. Pride, pride is a real barrier to receiving salvation in your life. You know, when the rich, wealthy Zacchaeus climbed a tree, he paid a price. 
These people hated him. They wanted to spit on him. There's probably uh, you know, all sorts of horrible things, names they would have called him if he had have stepped out of the crowd and up into such a visible place on the branch of this sycamore fig. He would have paid a price. He had to get over himself. I mean, like if Julia Gillard got up in a tree, we think that's absolutely ridiculous. You know, the prime minister wouldn't do that, would she? Because, look, climbing trees is the sort of thing that kids do, right? And that's exactly what Jesus calls us to do in order to be saved. He says, you know, you must be like a child if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. You must become like a child if you want to encounter God. You need to lose your dignity. You need to lose your social inhibitions to follow him. How? How do you do that? <laughs> How does that work? Um, in the 40s and 50s, Australian kids uh, all around uh, this country would sit by the radio. I had one in uh, my lounge room because Dad kept it from Grandma's place and it was this big wooden thing and it was the centrepiece of life back then. Some of you may have experienced it yourself and he would listen to the tales of the jungle doctor. And there was an Australian man who read all these wonderful stories of the jungle doctor uh, stories like the jungle doctor on safari or the jungle doctor operates or the jungle doctor attacks witchcraft or the jungle doctor's enemies. And it was all these wonderful stories that had these hidden meanings behind it all and kids would gather around and listen. And then the other week, the only reason I'm talking about it is because uh, last Monday I was chatting to the old lady next door, Ruth, and she was starting to tell me her life story about 15 to 20 minutes into the conversation and uh, she has a habit of chatting. And, and she talked about her husband who uh, was a physician and used to go to Africa just before the war and, and encountered all these sorts of incredible things and adventures. And he came back and he wrote these stories called The Jungle Doctor. And her husband had penned and, and created this radio show around his own adventures. You see, we overcome our pride when we realise that we're part of a story that's actually grounded in an underlying reality. These fanciful fairy tales were this guy's real life. And yet they told of something much bigger and deeper. Look, why don't we get caught up in the fairy tales? It's because we're adults, right? We're big kids. We're adults, you know, we don't think like that anymore. We've experienced, as uh, Bruce Hornsby and Don Henley said, the end of the innocence. You know, remember when the days were long and rolled beneath a deep blue sky, didn't have a care in the world with mummy and daddy standing by. But happily ever after fails, and we've been poisoned by these fairy tales, the lawyers dwell on small details since daddy had to fly. But I know a place where we can go that's still untouched by men. We'll sit and we'll watch the clouds ro- roll by and all the tall grass wave in the wind. You can lay your head back on the ground and you can let your hair fall all around me. Offer up your best defence. But this is the end. This is the end of the innocence. Where, where do we as adults go to a place where we can still go that's untouched by men? There's no place such as that, right? <laughs> oh, yes, there is. There's no such story. Oh, yes, there is. There's a story that has the power to make an adult a child again. It's the, the, the story that can transform a grown-up back into those fairy tales. It's called the gospel. It's, it's, it's the gospel. It's the story of an evil sorcerer who has this under his spell and yet a hero from another world has broken in to come and rescue us and save us from that evil curse. Sounds like a story, right? 
No, Jesus is the jungle doctor of all fairy tales. Jesus is the underlying reality to which all fairy tales in this world point. You see, guys, what am I trying to say? Look, the only way that you're going to get over yourself is if you ground yourself in the underlying reality of the fairy tale. And only then can you, uh, in your own sense of the world, overcome your own pride and, and, and sense of self and of importance and climb a tree. That's the first step in being saved by God. You've got to get over yourself. The second one is you've got to get over the crowd. Here's a question. Why did Zacchaeus climb the tree? Because he was short. It says he was, he was a short man. I thought, finally, a passage that I can relate to this morning. Oh, thanks, brothers and sisters. You see, the, the crowd blocked Zacchaeus' view. And, and, you know, here's the thing. He wasn't content to be obscured by the crowd. He wasn't content to hide behind the crowd. You see, what it's teaching us this morning is that self-righteousness is another barrier to encountering Jesus. If pride's the first one, then the second one's self-righteousness. Now, hey, you're thinking, hang on, Sam, where'd you get that from? Okay, let's have a look. Verse 7 here. What does it say? Luke 19, verse 7. All the people saw this, the crowd saw this and began to... Mutter. They began to mutter. Another way that uh, the, the translations talk about it is they had contempt on him. They looked down their noses at him. Why? Because they, they thought they were in the know. They, they, they thought they were in the know. They thought that they were the ones who should be hanging out with Jesus. And they thought they knew who Jesus should and shouldn't be talking to. And they thought they knew who Jesus should or shouldn't be leaning into. They were the moral majority, right? The good ones. The good crowd, not this filthy, traitorous tax collector. And as a result, there was exclusion there, right? He was on the outside. Zacchaeus was on the outside. He had to scramble uh, into a tree to get over the crowd. You see, religious people use the word sinner like a groundsman uses white chalk to mark out the boundaries of a field. There's always the insiders and the outsiders. Religion always divides people into good people and bad people, into big sins and little sins, into insiders and outsiders. And so how do we get over the barrier of self-righteous, moralistic people? You have to do what Zacchaeus did, get over the crowd. (laughs) You see, that is, you get over the crowd when you move to a vantage point, when you can see Jesus directly. Get a clear view of Jesus. If you've got your scepticism, see him clearly. And you begin to see that throughout the pattern of his life. You, you see that when you read the Bible. When you look at his stories, when you read it from cover to cover, one of the challenges in church is that we pastors pick a little bit here and a little bit there. But if you read his whole story, you'll see all sorts of patterns begin to emerge in his life. He had 10 days, 10 days left. Why this guy? Why Zacchaeus? Why a tax collector? Why up to the train saying, I choose you over the crowd, come down? What's the teaching here? I think what uh, God's word says to, to us this morning is that Jesus him, himself is as turned off by religious, self-righteous people as you are. <laughs> he gets as angered at them as you might be. He's against the insider and the outsider. We, we see it all the time in his encounters. You know, Luke chapter 4, he goes to his hometown in Nazareth, remember? And, and he, he pulls out the Isaiah scroll and he reads it and he says, he reads out, you know, I've come to set the prisoners free. And, and today this scripture has been fulfilled in this house and they got real angry. And often we think they got angry because he was big noting himself and, and he said that I'm the fulfillment of this scripture. That's why they got angry. 
When I went back and looked at that passage, it's, it's not that at all. In fact, it says that they were amazed when he said that. But it's a bit later on when he goes and he tells a story. <laughs> tells a story how many in Israel had leprosy and no one was healed by the prophet Elijah except this guy Naaman the Syrian. And who was Naaman? A non-Jew, a Gentile, an outsider. And then the crowd became angry. Because the moral majority suddenly saw that Jesus was breaking access to God out of cultural captivity. You no longer encounter God through Israel and its religion. You encounter God through him, through Jesus. And so for Jesus, it's all about letting the insiders know that they're in and letting, uh, sorry, letting the insiders know that they're out and the outsiders letting them know that they were in. That's how he works. It's how he always talks. Matthew 21, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, he said, are getting in ahead of you. And Matthew 23, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces and you yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those that enter who are trying. <laughs> you see, it's his mission. It's his mission, verse 10 of this passage, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. That was lost. What's he doing? He's bringing something back into its rightful place. You see, sin is not worthlessness if someone's a sinner they're not worthless i say the guys in christianity explain if you lost your lottery ticket that had won the lottery is that worthless you'd be doing everything you could to scramble and find that thing and pick it up and take it to the news agent and the bible always talks about our sinfulness as a lostness away from god not a worthlessness and so jesus is saying i've come back to place the misplaced And so wherever there's a choice, the morally lost or the sexually lost or the religiously lost, Jesus Jesus chooses them. The outsiders are now on the inside. And it shows us the difference between the religion and the gospel. Because, you know, what religion is, people say, you know, what's religion? I'm seeking to find God. I'm seeking to do my thing. I'm I'm seeking to find and go and reach him. And if I don't find him, it's his fault. But the gospel says, not, you know, I'm, I'm good enough and I'll find God. Christianity says, God finds you. The gospel says, God is finding you. The gospel says, Jesus walks up to the tree in this encounter, looks over the crowd and says, Zacchaeus, I choose you, come down. That's what this encounter is showing us. And so don't let self-righteous religious people turn you off Jesus when he's just as turned off by them as you are. You need to get over the crowd and see Jesus more clearly. And when you do, then this uh, deliberate inclusion of the excluded, you'll see that he's just as, uh, as against exclusion of people as you might be. It might also be a slap in the face as it was for that crowd to us today to say, how are we obscuring people's view of Jesus? How are we, like linesmen, drawing our own lines and boundaries in terms of who's in and who's out? One of my favourite stories at Exchange was we had a, a guy who's become a good friend, been here for six, seven months, and uh, he turned up to our inside north side and, and Graham said, how long have you been a Christian? He said, I'm not a Christian, I'm a Muslim. And our mate Ali has travelled with us for six or seven months and at Exchange we were reading the stories of Acts 15 when they had this exact same problem in the church of the religious insiders excluding the outsiders. We talked about the way that God makes no distinction with us on the basis of our, uh, of our good doing and yet chooses to be with us. And he reads through this passage and he says, you know what, this, this place is just like that. 
as you walk through, when you go through the scriptures, and he talks about the Jesus, as he called him. And the Jesus, and, what it, and, and it is, his face lights up when he begins to hear the message. You know what was happening there? He was getting over the crowd. And he was seeing Jesus more clearly. That the outsiders are on the inside and the insiders are on the outside. You've got to get over the crowd. And finally, you've got to get over to Jesus. Verse 5 to 6, it says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once. And what does he do? He welcomed him gladly. You see, you need to see Jesus clearly, but you can't look at Jesus from a distance. You can't watch from a distance for too long. You need to get close to him. How do we know that? The combination of these words, the nature of the request, verse 5, stay, verse 6, welcomed, verse 7, guest. You know, it's all hinting that, look, Jesus is not trying to pop in here for a, a quick scone and a cup of tea and then move on to Jerusalem, okay? He's, he's getting prepared to stay the night with Zacchaeus. And it meant that, that, that Jesus was going to be at the very heart of Zacchaeus's life to stay with him over at his house for a sleepover. You can't observe him from a distance. And what we saw then in this interaction was, first of all, the pattern of grace, the pattern of how God saves You know, Jesus says, I choose you in verse 5. He looks up, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I need to stay with you. It's careful to look at the order because he says, I choose you, Zacchaeus. And then it's at that point that Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give my money away. See, what's happening here? Jesus is saying, in spite of your sin, in spite of what what you've done, Zacchaeus, I'm going to stay with you. And it speaks to you today, the people that think I've got to get my life together, I've got to get myself in order, or I've got to get things right before I go and encounter Jesus. He doesn't know. Jesus chooses you first. And then he says, eventually, I'll make you right. And then uh, it's incredible. We see here that uh, Zacchaeus, in terms of the joy that flows from his life, begins to give his money away. You see, first and foremost, we see that you are loved before you obey in Christianity, that Jesus chooses you first. That's the difference between religion and Christianity. You don't obey God for love. You, you obey God because you are loved. And so therefore, the repentance here of Zacchaeus, the change in his mind didn't bring the love of God through Jesus. Instead, Jesus' love and his choice to Zacchaeus is what brought the repentance, the change in his mind. But it also shows us the power of his grace. You know, as the crowd looked on, you know, there was no doubt that this guy got saved. There's a real clear indication here. It's here in verse 9. Let's have a look. It says, uh, verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. You know, it was, when we look in at the language, it's not something here that says that he did it out of obligation. Look, Lord. The way it's translated is literally, look, Daddy. The way a kid would go and take a, a bit of clay that they've made at school and, and proudly holds it up to their father and says, look, Daddy, look what I did for you. And the incredible thing here is that the generosity of Zacchaeus was a sign of the underlying saving of God in this sense. He says, I'll pay them back 400 times. You know, the law said something radically different. In Numbers 5 verse 7, it says that if you've wronged anyone, that you were required to pay them back the the amount that you wronged them plus 20%. Zacchaeus says 400%. And so see what happens here? See what the power of grace did to Zacchaeus? Here's what it did. It, It severed the spiritual umbilical cord to his money. 
And, and, and oh no, you're thinking, here we go. Here's the stitch up. Big call. Get the wallets out. Another one again. <laughs> now, guys, look, let's look at as far as Zacchaeus was concerned. What, look, what did money represent for him? It was, money was at the heart of this guy's life. It was his identity. Zacchaeus the what? Tax collector. Zacchaeus the money collector. It was the, the heart of his identity. It was his pattern for life. It was his meaning for life. It was his reason for life. It was the source of his life. And he experiences the grace of God when Jesus says, I choose you. And he says, I give it up. The cord's been severed. And he goes far beyond what the law has required. He goes four times. Guys, what's it trying to say to us this morning? It's not a legalistic interpretation saying, you know, if you experience God, get the wallet out this morning. That's not what we're getting at. What it's saying here is that Jesus for Zacchaeus became his lifeline. It became everything to him. His identity was changed. His source of life was changed. His reason for living was changed. If you've, been, if you've encountered the grace of God in Jesus, then it means change will happen. VO5 principle. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. All right? Thanks, mate. I know, it's a good one. I love it. (laughs) Guys, there should be change. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. There should be the severing of these umbilical cords to the things that are what you saw before you encountered God as your survival. So, guys, as I finish this morning, got to get over yourself, get over the crowd, get over to Jesus. You know, see, here's the funny thing. The the, the crowd saw saw Zacchaeus hanging from a tree, right? (laughs) Crazy sight, a short tax collector. He lost what? He lost his dignity. He lost his pride. <laughs> lost any sense of respect, if there was ever any left in that world for him. He lost it all because he climbed a tree. But he got a new life. He got a new lease on life. He got a new joy in life. Greater generosity, greater joy. Look, maybe asking this morning, how do I get that? Maybe, maybe you're a Christian this morning and say, how do I get that joy and generosity into my life? I think it's here in the story. You know, like I said before, Jesus is the jungle doctor, right? Jesus is the reality under every story that we read, not only in the Word of God, but in this world. And the same crowd that saw Zacchaeus hanging without his dignity from a tree, this was just hinting at something. You see, this same crowd perhaps were about to see someone else hanging from a tree 10 days later. The same crowd is going to see someone else who lost his dignity and lost his pride, lost his life, and he got a new one back. Now, is it me or is there a recurring theme here? Guys, is pride a barrier in your life? Look, if you're worried about looking silly in following Jesus Christ, you've got to realize that at the cross, Jesus looked more than silly. He looked eternally silly. They say the cross is the foolishness. Of man. Verse 35 of Luke's gospel said, The people there stood watching, and the rulers, they even sneered at him. And they said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ, the God, the chosen one. You think Zacchaeus copped a few insults while he was hanging from the tree? He was just a shadow of the one who would cop the ultimate insults. If you're worried about getting over yourself, realize that Jesus Christ first got over himself. If you feel like an outsider this morning, Recognize that at the cross, Jesus Christ became the ultimate outsider. When he yelled, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He lost the inside relationship with his father, the perfect insider's relationship. He went to the outside so that you could be brought to the inside this morning. 
If you feel like this morning, maybe God's not real. I've been searching for him. I can't find him. I've done all I can. I can't reach God. At the cross, you've got to realize that that's God reaching for you. He's not something abstract. He's something real and he died for you. Would you like a new life this morning? You can be like Zacchaeus and welcome him gladly this morning in faith. We're going to pray after the service. You can receive this. But if you really want to encounter Jesus, both Christian, non-Christian, we've got to get over ourselves. We're going to get caught in the bigger story. We've got to see the jungle doctor for who he really is. We've got to get over the crowd. We've got to see Jesus more directly. We've got to get into the word. Maybe we've got to stop being part of the crowd and obscuring other people's view of Jesus Christ. Most importantly, we need to get over to Jesus. We need to get closer. We need to stay with him. We need to live with him. We need to be with him. Allow him to turn us into people of joy and of grace and of wonder and of generosity like Zacchaeus was. That transformation is possible for you and I this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reminders that we have in your son Jesus Christ of who you really are. That you're a God that saves that you're a God that looks above the crowds of uh, the morally right and the insiders and you're constantly, you're constantly centralizing the marginalized, Lord. Constantly bringing those that are on the outside into the inside. Father, I just pray for anyone here this morning. Maybe they're in this place because they've been away from you for a while. They've been out on the outside and yet this morning they hear in your word and the examples of your son Jesus Christ that they can be on the inside. Father, I pray for the ultimate uh, outsiders in that sense, people who are yet to experience your love and your grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That may they understand that Jesus looks up into the branch of their life today and says, I choose you to come down, come down immediately. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this place, they might do that, come out of the branch, come up the back, receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Father, for the rest of us this morning that hear this, See it as a, such a familiar story. See it as a reminder of, yes, you're a God that saves. Father, I pray that uh, through your Holy Spirit, this is going to be made new. We know that your Spirit doesn't give us new information. He just makes the same information new to us. And so make your grace and your salvation new in our lives this week. Convict us, Lord, of the ways like the linesman we might consciously or subconsciously be drawing lines between people, moving people to the outside. Father, convict us of that, but also may we also rejoice in the way that you have brought us into you. May we live that truth this week. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.